This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. both of them on with us. Uh, these are two giants in the philanthropic community, and I am so pleased to bring both of them to the fore of the Larry Daniel Favor Show. First up, we have Dr. Jocelyn Rainey, uh, who is the head of the Brooklyn Community Foundation. And, and I'm going to just, I'm not going to hide the ball with you, audience. Y'all know I believe in transparency. I, in my role as the executive director at the Center for Law and Social Justice at Mega Rivers College, have had the opportunity to interact with both of the organizations I'm going to reference. Um, powerful partners have really helped us to engage in advocacy on the ground. So when I'm talking about them, you're going to hear a lot of joy in my voice. It's authentic because I have personally <laughs> seen the impact of the work that they're doing. And I want you all to to know that as well uh, so that we are clear about it. Uh, joining us first is Dr. Jocelyn Rainey. Hello to you, Madam. Uh, no good time. to see you again. Long time no see. Uh, but we are so happy to have both you and Lisa Pilar Cohen here to discuss uh, your focus on racial justice in grant making. And uh, Dr. Rainey, as I mentioned, is the head of the Brooklyn Community Foundation. Lisa Pilar Cohen in a similar role at the Sterling Clark Fund. And I'm just so glad for both of you being here with us today. This topic is extraordinarily important. So let's give you a round of applause and thank Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Lisa Pilar Cohen as Vice President of the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation and Jocelyn Rainey as President and CEO of Brooklyn Community Foundation, you all are at the, the forefront of philanthropy in states like New York. Brooklyn, of course, benefited from the only, the, the first and most, I'm gonna say most significant uh, community foundation in the borough uh, and the Robert, uh, the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation. I remember partnering with you all on census issues and, and your support for looking at census as a racial justice issue. Uh, Jocelyn, Dr. Rainey, let me give you your honorifics. When we're talking about racial justice in philanthropy, why is it so difficult for us to ensure that the communities that most need these investments and these resources, why is it so difficult for them to actually get access to the resources that the philanthropic community has at its fingertips? You know, I think one is that, and you know, philanthropy is moving in the right direction, not moving fast enough, but moving in the right direction and really thinking about like what is happening in community. Like, you know, how do we hear from the people who are actually impacted with the issues? I think that, you know, my experience having run a nonprofit, and I want to thank you, Lorraine, for your work. And thank you for your work. Um, you know, having run a nonprofit, Understanding like, you know, when you're talking to um, to program officers and to folks who are running philanthropy, what they often talk to me about was, you know, my data, right? Like what's going on? Who am I serving? How many people am I serving? Actually trying to help me to frame and structure how we serve people in the communities that the staff that I work with were so familiar with and knew how to serve, right? So I think that one of the difficulties is this idea of like, I know, and I'm so proud to be with a foundation that is so aligned with my own personal values around, I don't know. I don't know everything. There are other people that know more. So I think that that's one. And two is that, you know, that nonprofits that are run by BIPOC leaders are traditionally historically underfunded. They're understaffed. And it's difficult to even get into the arena <laughs> Um, with philanthropy because you don't have the resources and the capacity to actually 
create those compelling applications and sometimes just not applying because you don't have the capacity to be able to maintain the standards that they're looking for while you're actually using that money to serve those people. So um, I think that that, for me, that's what I believe some of it is, is why we've been so disconnected from um, the resources of philanthropy. Mm. And Lisa, I'm going to turn to you for with a similar question in just a moment. Uh, but Dr. Rainey, for folks who are learning about the Brooklyn Community Foundation, can you give us just a sense as to some of the goals that you all have? Because I, I feel like that really also helps to set apart uh, this institution from others in really significant ways. I, I so appreciate you asking that. I didn't want to, I mean, I could talk about the foundation all day. I'm so proud of the work that they do. You know, I am a lifelong um, Brooklynite. I live in Bedford-Stuyvesant. I see the issues at the nonprofits that we're working with, what they address and why they're so important to the um, to Brooklyn. Um, you know, the foundation is the first community foundation in Brooklyn. Um, what I say to my team is that we will always be unapologetically focused on Brooklyn. Brooklyn would be the fourth largest city in the country if it was a city. The needs are vast. Um, the diversity in Brooklyn is huge. And also the diversity between um, between socioeconomic class as well. There's a lot of, you know, there's, you know, you hear about Brooklyn all the time. You know, there's a there's a lot of people here who are um, in, in positions where they can, where they do have a certain socioeconomic class, but there's still a lot of struggle and um, and needs in Brooklyn that need to be addressed. So the foundation is, again, the first um, community foundation focused only on Brooklyn. We do this work through a racial justice lens. We primarily fund organizations that are run by BIPOC leaders that are doing work in communities um, in communities that are primarily um, are primarily my, minority, um, this we are very focused on work like the work that you do around advocacy and organizing. We know that that work is underfunded. Um, we also do this work through a participatory grant making um, process where people in the community make the decisions on where the monies go. And I'm really proud to have a board that usually just rubber stamps it because we know who is making that decision. Um, we give multi-year grants because we understand that that's really important for organizations to be able to do the work that they need to do. And we also um, we also ensure that the we also ensure that the people that are that the people that are living in communities have a voice in the work that we do as well. So um, I'm really proud of that work that we do this work in that way, where it is us, we're the learners, we're the listeners, and that we're funding the work. Um, and we have a very um, a very um, simple application process. Um, we fund missions, um, not we don't we don't fund data. We fund missions. Mm, that that is an important distinction, and I appreciate that. Uh, Lisa Pilar Cohen, I'm so grateful for the work that you also do at the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation. Uh, talk with us about what led you to this organization and some of the core missions that you all tackle there. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having us. And it's always a treat for me to be in the same place as Jocelyn as a Brooklyn same. resident and a, and a colleague. Um, so I uh, was on the yeah, I worked for nonprofits for the bulk of my life. And uh, at best, I thought of my foundation program officers as frenemies, but more often just straight up enemies. And mm -hmm. so it was never my aspiration to work at a foundation. But um, but I came along at a moment where the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation was both reconsidering what it gave to and how it gives. Mm -hmm. um, we're a private foundation, we have the money of 
the family who was the lawyer to the guy who created the Singer sewing machine. So many steps removed from any expertise about anything we're funding today, right? Um, And one thing that I was thinking about um, in your first question to Jocelyn about why it's so hard for community to access philanthropy money is that like on the most basic level, rich white people hold the money and foundations mostly have already stolen the money twice. Mostly the, the original fortune comes from some extractive practice. And then we take the money out of taxes. So we've taken your money twice. We've put it in a wow. foundation. We meet it back to you little by little. And then we expect a thank you note. Um, so my goodness, I, uh... you said that so much better than I could have. I'm going to have to quote you on that. <laughs> So I think, you know, one thing I'm actually right now talking to you from I'm in Atlanta at a conference on reparations. And so listening to a lot of this conversation um, and and that mirrors some of the conversations Jocelyn has had and I have had, I'm just learning so much. But, you know, just personally, I've really shifted from thinking about philanthropy as um, as giving money to thinking about us as returning money. And I think if you make that shift, it just changes a lot of the of the structures that that we've set up in the past. Now, I'm so I don't glad know if that you even mentioned... touched your question, but oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I'm thinking, I'm so glad you mentioned the the conference, the reparations conference that you're at, because you both uh, focused on grant making in an article recently called "Reparations, Not Charity." And having a reparative approach to philanthropic engagement, I think, is groundbreaking. So let's just say that there. Uh, but let's talk about the fact that we need we need concrete understanding as to what that looks like for, from a philanthropic uh, perspective. So so. Josh, and if I can come back to you, what are some of the suggestions that you have for, for your colleagues in the philanthropic world about how to bring a reparative framework to philanthropy in light of uh, the, the information that you both just shared? Yeah, you know, I think one thing is, and I think that I'm really proud that both our, our, our foundations are already doing some of this work is that, you know, moving the money to the experts, like I said earlier, like understanding we are not the experts, the money needs to go to the experts. And that we also need to make sure that we are funding expansively. Um, that is really important as well, making sure that we're funding expansively in regards to the amount of a grant and the length of time that we are again funding missions that we are funding to win, right? So we understand, I was talking earlier about, you know, just, you know, nonprofits not having the capacity to be able to like, to even apply for grants, LOI, so many nonprofits stop being able to serve people after COVID. And I think the migrant issue is gonna have the same impact on nonprofits as well. And we as nonprofits need to be, I mean, as philanthropy need to be able to fill that grant by funding nonprofits in a way that is not asking them. And again, um, to be able to, like, we should not be extractive. And I love, and I'm gonna steal that too, Lisa. I love that, like expecting a thank you note at the end, right? Like, we're like, here, we're gonna give you this little bit and we're gonna we're gonna expect the thank you note at the end. And that is, that is, I'm so proud that we're not that organization. But I do think like to think about this as reparative, right? Like, and, and think, and also funding reparations work. We are going right now, our foundation is going through a, um, a strategic plan and a rebranding. And part of that work is gonna be like, how do we actually support 
reparations work. Like this is coming. Like I believe that it's coming. You know, um, Lisa and I did a lot of research. There are a lot of strong organizations out there doing this work and that we need to make sure that we are funding that work because that is the work. And we need to be able to talk about it and like, you know, all the education in the world is not going to undo you know the structural racism that what is structural racism is already destroyed in in our in our city and our country and so we need to fund the work that is going to help to really create real um reparations for people of color for black people you know there was a time when throughout my career and you know i'm, I'm in my 40s and i i know that i have a lot of life left to live but i would say there has been more um ability to have a conversation that incorporates reparations, I think in the past five years than at any point in my entire life. And, and I am someone who has often said, we deserve reparations, we should get reparations. I don't actually know that we're going to because you know I think about historically, there have been moments where we did uh, right after the Civil War and then it was snatched back. And yet I am loving to be proved wrong that because there are more and more people having this conversation in the state of New York. We just saw uh, some of the work that the Center for Law and Social Justice has been involved in uh, in supporting. Uh, there's now a bill to, to have to formulate a commission to look at reparations in the state of New York, similar to what we saw take place in California. So, so Dr. Rady, to your credit, you you are absolutely correct. This is a conversation that is not going anywhere. And Lisa, in light of that, I'm wondering if you can give us a bit of your vision as to what philanthropy would look like in light of everything that you both just said. What should it look like if it is hoping to, to really make a dent, more than a dent, to really make an impact in the, the areas of greatest need across the country? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, so I will throw out the caveat that I am far from an expert on any of this. I'm just, I'm just learning as we go. Um, Same. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and also one thing I've learned is there are very few experts. Most of us are just making this up as we go. So I think that also informs the conversation. Um, but I am at this moment in at this conference with some of the national experts on reparations, and they feel like this is an unprecedented moment both on the local level and there's a HR 40 is the national legislation that's currently pending. And so this is really an exciting moment to, to lean into this work. And I think it's important to, to distinguish between, I think foundations can have a rep, a reparative framework. I don't think we can actually do the reparations work because I mm. think if you look at sort of the formal steps of reparations, institutions aren't quite the right ones to do it. And some people would say it needs to be like a governmental responsibility, but I think there's a lot that we can do first by talking about where our money is coming from you know i think that's kind of like a next step that we can take as a as a sector because once we start talking about where our money has come from then maybe we can connect that to where it's going to so that's sort of like one step um and then i think the other is funding with this um with this reparative framework as jocelyn has said trying to make the the actual process of grant making as easy funding people to win funding them big funding them over the long run taking away a lot of the like hoops that we have created all you need to make a grant is 990 and maybe a 501c3 every other part of this we have made up right all wow. the rubrics all the reports all the guidelines just you know we've made up and we have no accountability so we got to hold each other accountable for it um so I think that's I think that's a lot of it. And then most important, as Jocelyn said, is funding the work, is funding the people who do know how to do the reparations work. And and you know, it's showing up in so many different places across the country and obviously internationally 
Um, and I think if we, you know, it just feels like I don't see another way to get past systemic racism than this. And I think every single American will live a better life if we can get over systemic racism. So we're all, we're all doing this in our own self-interest um, and we got to trust the experts. Mm. I, I'm so encouraged by this conversation. As, as much as I know, there's at least three people who run nonprofits in the many millions who listen to the show every day, at least three of them who are saying, well, now this all may be true, but I still have to live in a world where I don't have access to the Brooklyn Community Foundation. I'm in, I'm in Iowa. I don't have access to the Robert, I don't, I don't have access to the, to the foundations. I don't have access to the Robert Sterling Clark. I, I'm not with Lisa Pilar Cohen. And I want a, to, to have a reparative framework applied to the philanthropic spaces uh, that I am engaged in. What would be your advice, Dr. Rainey, to folks who are in that position, who are hearing this? Because I, I, I guarantee you what's going to happen is when I get off of this show, people are going to flood my inbox with questions about, well, where are they in, in Tennessee? We need them in, in Texas. We need... And so you two are and your organizations really are at the forefront of, I think, helping to turn this, this conversation about philanthropy around. Uh, Dr. Rainey, while we're still in this turning around phase, what do you think organizations can do? now perhaps the ones that are not in brooklyn who won't be able to benefit from from the enlightened approach that you two are taking what do you think organizations can do now to help further this conversation both organizations who are nonprofits, who are the recipients of philanthropic largesse and those who are actively a part of foundations like yourself who are trying to figure out a better way to meet the needs that will not go away if we do not have a more uh, effective approach of ensuring that they have the resources that they need yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that there needs to be an expansive approach to this across the country. And you know, it's it's interesting. Like I'm so hyper local, um, and you know, it's like for me to use that language about like this is this is a this is this is a, a American problem, not a Brooklyn problem, right? It's not a New York City problem. I think that one of the ways that 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 folks because like they need to call it out, right? And I think that that's hard. And I see that even with, you know, local politics here and policy that, you know, as philanthropy, I feel like I have to stand on certain platforms to support nonprofits that I that I call my partners because they can't do that because they're looking for funding from these organi organizations. Whereas, you know, me as a, as and I feel like I love my role. You and I were talking about that yesterday, um, Lorraine. I said, I love what I do because I can't mm -hmm. stand in the gap for nonprofits. And so, but I also think what I also feel like is my, my, um, my duty, my obligation, my charge is also to bring my colleagues along. Right. And mm. I think one of the things that I'm so excited about this partnership and, and Lisa in particular is that she is um, also committed to that. Like how do we know that together we could do so much more, right. As, a, as, 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 um, as, as grant makers. Um, so I think that one, one thing is like finding a way to call it out, right? Like I try to use all of my platforms to talk about this and hopefully one day us, our, our organizations being national models of how you do this work and really being able to put on the forefront, like, let me show you how it's working. Let me show you the success of nonprofits. Let me show you the, how we're moving the needle for black people in New York city because of our partnership. So I think one is unfortunately, which is difficult is like, calling it out, um, telling your stories, figuring out a way to do that, whether it be through, you know, a um, platform like yours, but finding a way to tell your stories. I don't know if you've read any of my op-eds, but it's very much trying to support yes, nonprofits, but also trying to help them have some, you know, um, 
trying to create some anonymity for them because I know that they're still looking for that funding that that they're speaking about that's difficult for them to get. Um, so I think at least I might have other other ways, but I think one is like for us as philanthropy to, to stand in the gap, doing what Lisa's doing now, like she's at this conference, speaking at these conferences, doing these kind of national, um, we're you know doing these kind of national um, journal articles, doing these things, but also, um, yeah, because I I yeah I guess I just feel like I know what you're saying is difficult, and like if you don't have that in Tennessee, but also like reposting our work, <laughs> sharing it with your board, having those kind you know those kinds of things, and asking maybe people with power because all of this is really about naming and redistributing power, right? And so mm. utilizing people who have power to be able to carry your water a little bit as well. Yeah, yes. I think we that's right. And Lorraine, I sort of article is easy. It's a lot easier than me saying, well, I believe we should have a reparative framework for the grants I'm going to apply for. It's a lot easier to just send down articles yeah. and, and to, to promote that conversation. Uh, Lisa, we, we have just a moment left, but I, I think I yeah, cut you off. I, what were you gonna say? I just was going to say, like, I have a little bit of a cringe when you say we're the national experts, because really all we're doing is talking. Neither Jocelyn or I have a grant pool that's funding reparations right now. Like we mm. see it, but we're not doing it yet. And or at least I'm not doing it yet. I think Jocelyn might be closer, but but we believe in it. We believe it's coming. And I think absolutely right. Like I don't want I don't want nonprofits to risk their funding relationships. If they can't, I want us to think about where you can take a risk and and we can take that risk. So call on us, call on your current funders. Uh, you know, invite people as much as you're able to bear it, invite people into conversations out of curiosity. Um, not out of uh, setting up another fight. And then, I don't know, fight when you have to. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons I appreciate this article so much, which talks about a reparative framework. Not saying we are here to fund the reparations work, but as if there is a framework in philanthropy that allows for a reparative approach, that is going to allow for all of the outcomes uh, that you all were, have both discussed so eloquently. And I think that's the, one of the most salient points. If we can get the philanthropic community to have a framework that really opens up the possibility for how they can invest in community, that to me is a huge win. A huge win. And uh, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll get somewhere with this legislation in New York State so we can yeah. actually have a commission that's going to look at racial uh, re reparations in that way. I am so grateful for both of you. We, we're at the end of our show time today. And I, I really appreciate you, you taking the step to not just put this information out there, but to then uh, come here and amplify it. We need folks in this community, in the nonprofit space and in the philanthropic space to recognize that there is another conversation happening. And the content that you all have put out have really helped to shape that. Uh, Jocelyn and then Lisa, how can people follow you, connect with the organizations that you represent and, and learn more about the work that you're doing? Please follow us at brooklyncommunityfoundation.org. Um, we're also on Instagram, LinkedIn, all your social media outlets. Um, you can find our work there. And we would love to hear from you, as Lisa said. Um, feel free to reach out to me. And, uh, you know, I believe that my job is storyteller. So um, feel free to reach out to me and share your stories. Thank you. And Lisa, um, what about you? Well, every day I'm thinking, should I quit Twitter or not? But it, today, my Twitter handle is at Lisa Pilar. Um, the foundation is rsclark.org. And I just want to shout out the folks who are putting on this conference that I'm on now, or um, Decolonizing Wealth Project and Liberation Ventures. Both have really helpful resources. Um, so yeah, so go there.
Yes. Go there, learn lots of things and then support yeah. the work. Uh, Jocelyn Rainey, Lisa Pilar Cohen, Robert Sterling Clark Foundation, Brooklyn Community Foundation in the reverse. Uh, really glad to have you here and to have your voices uh, elevated at this time. This is the direction that we need these communities to, to travel when it comes to how we are setting up what the next generation of grant making and philanthropic engagement will look like. Thank you both. Thank you both Thank for being you. here. We appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.